it's not just about eat less, move more. That's not going to solve this problem. We can tell people to be active and, and exercise and eat healthy. And, and I preach all those things myself, but there is a lot more going on. It's time for Exercise Snacks Bite Size Science, brought to you by All in One Super Blend. It's superfood for superhumans. Visit allinonesuperblend.com. We also have a giveaway going on for you to enter your very own Super Blend starter kit, and you can head to atfw.ca to enter. World Obesity Day is on March 4th. And on today's episode, we welcome Ian Patton, who is the Director of Advocacy and Public Engagement at Obesity Canada, and also a certified exercise physiologist and registered kinesiologist. Now, on this episode, we're going to talk about what is the clear definition of obesity. As we know, it often gets muddied in conversations online. Why access to evidence-based treatments is important accessibility and the use of GLP-1 agonists like Ozempic and Wagovi, and the integration of obesity management programs in fitness facilities. Before we get to it, be sure to hit like and subscribe. We have new podcast episodes weekly featuring industry thought leaders and influencers. I'm your host, Chrissy Van, and this is ATFW. At the time of recording, World Obesity Day is approaching, and I think we've seen a lot of elevated discussion around this subject matter, particularly because we're now living in a time and we're going to be getting to them. But GLP-1 agonists have been a huge part of the conversation. So those are your Zempics, Wagovis, where we know they were initially created to address type 2 diabetes. And one of the side effects was weight loss, which obviously can have a momentous impact on the obesity crisis. But before we even dive in, because there's a lot of people in the arena, sometimes the definitions themselves get lost in the mix. So first of all, what is obesity? Oh, that's a, that's a great question, I think. And it's something that uh, we haven't quite got the message out effectively to the to the wider population right now. So, uh, you know, a lot of people think obesity is simply just BMI, your BMI classification on a scale. And, uh, you know, historically, that's what we've used as, uh, as an easy go-to assessment of, of uh, obesity, but it's uh, not really accurate. And you, we know that there's lots of issues with BMI and limitations with, uh, you know, it's a measure of size and, and, and weight, essentially. It, it has nothing to do with all the factors that go into someone's weight status or their, you know, their health and well-being and their value and those sorts of things. So uh, it's just not sufficient. So uh, the, in 2020, there was new clinical practice guidelines published uh, here in Canada. And the definition that we use is that obesity is a complex chronic disease where excess or abnormal adipose tissue impairs health. And so that impairs health piece is, is a really important uh, part of that definition, because it does recognize that there are people who, you know, might have a higher BMI, might have a higher weight, and they do not have obesity just because they have a higher weight. There's more to the equation there. So when it comes to being recognized as a chronic disease, I know that is something in and itself that's a big conversation and not just among the public within our healthcare system. I think anybody that's gone online has seen or heard anecdotes of individuals not necessarily getting proper care. Sometimes the language that's used with them in those settings can be quite derogatory at times. So talk to me about 
a little bit of that landscape and the importance of having it recognized as a chronic disease? Yeah, it's um, it really is an important piece to the puzzle here in terms of uh, getting people the care that they need and, and recognizing that this is a very complex issue. Um, there's, you know, so WHO, the World Health Organization, has recognized obesity as a chronic disease for a long time. Uh, I think it was 2015 when the Canadian Medical Association uh, recognized it as a chronic disease. There's many of the provincial uh, medical associations have already made those recognitions, uh, but the governments themselves and the actual health system that we're uh, operating in uh, does not currently recognize obesity as a chronic disease. So, you know, that means that people are not necessarily getting the treatment that they deserve or the, the, uh, that they need in order to manage uh, this issue. So, you know, that means as far as like education for health professionals and, and what they're learning in their training, um, the, you know, you can get down into things like even the billing codes and how they, uh, the time that they're spending with people trying to manage this issue, they can't, you know, properly bill for it. So, you know, that's a limiting factor. There's, there's lots of pieces to this puzzle. So the recognition of obesity as a chronic disease is really a, a starting point as, uh, you know, for getting people what they need and, and treating this properly. And we're going to talk to some of those treatments in a moment, but why would it be important for somebody to seek treatment? Because I know that you were saying there, just because somebody necessarily has excess weight doesn't necessarily define as obesity, but as we understand it, there certainly are preventable complications that one can experience if they are living life with obesity. Yeah, well, we know that obesity is uh, related to a number of comorbid conditions. Uh, you know, you can go down the list. It's, you know, diabetes and hypertension, sleep apnea, and, you know, liver disorders and even cancer and certain uh, types of cancer. So like there's lots of things that it's related to. So treating and managing obesity is it could be prevention or consider prevention of other chronic diseases. So it is important to address it early. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone with a higher weight needs to have a, an aggressive treatment like I've had myself. You know, I've gone through bariatric surgery and I've taken medications and uh, those sorts of things. And and not everyone, that's not the right choice for everyone. So it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone with a high BMI needs to have treatment. But, you know, in instances like myself, where I was very, very sick, and, you know, I probably wouldn't be here right now uh, talking with you if I hadn't seeked out that treatment. So for people like myself, it is extremely important to address it early on before the disease progresses before you have other complications and, you know, you can live a happier, healthier life. As you're speaking there, and I'm not sure when you went through this journey, but we know that options weren't as ample as they are currently. So bariatric surgery was probably one of the, the leading outlets for people to go. But now we have seen this evolution of GLP-1 agonists. So first of all, I kind of touched on where their origin story began, but maybe explain a little bit about what those are. I know most of you that are listening to the podcast at this point are well familiar with these because, I mean, it's not just made headlines within the fitness industry. It's made headlines as Oprah now has gone public and her usage. And we've seen many other celebrity endorsements as well. But that cover of People magazine certainly elevated the talk around it. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of attention. And 
I kind of have mixed feelings about it because the attention initially, I think, was very positive. I think it was opening up the door to a lot of really good conversations about um, taking obesity a little bit more seriously and and recognizing that it is more than, you know, someone's weight. It's it's going to take more than eat less, move more, which hasn't worked and will not work because it's an oversimplification of a very complex problem. So these uh, you know, the advent of these newer generation of medications has really opened up a lot of really positive uh, conversations around that. But, uh, you know, if we're looking at the treatments that are available, the clinical practice guidelines that I mentioned earlier, they, they um, highlight three pillars to obesity management. And uh, so the, that would be um, the cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, the um, bariatric surgery, and then the pharmacotherapy. Those are the three pillars. And within those pillars, you know, like if we're talking about the bariatric surgery pillar, there's different surgeries that are available within that pillar. Now, all those pillars support the uh, behavioral, like the diet and exercise, uh, and allow individuals to be more successful in those attempts. So it's not suggesting that, you know, eating healthy and exercise are not important parts of chronic disease management. They are. Um, the treatments that we're talking about, the GLP-1s, the bariatric surgery, the cognitive behavioral therapy, they all help an individual be much, much more successful in maintaining those healthy behaviors that we want. I am curious to know, because I have mixed feelings as well over GLP-1, what are some of those reservations or feelings that are coming up for you? I don't have uh, I don't have reservations about GLP ones as a as a treatment. They are proven to be extremely effective, and uh, uh, they are a very very good tool to have in our toolbox. They're not going to be the right choice for everyone. Like I said, uh, everyone's going to be a bit different. But for the people that they are uh, effective for, they are life altering. And um, so I don't have any reservations about that. The reservations I have are about the conversations, the the things that are coming out, the media attention and the um, miscategories, you know, misunderstanding of how these medications work and, and how they should be utilized. There's a lot of attention that came from, you know, particularly in down in the States where, you know, there's influencers and, and all these sorts of things going on on social media and people taking the medication maybe for the wrong reasons, more of a cosmetic reason rather than a uh, chronic disease management. And that's the stuff that's actually creating problems for people like myself who are advocating for people who need to have these medications for medical condition, for actual chronic disease management. And it makes it more challenging to have those positive conversations when there's so much noise uh, going on out there. I hear you completely. I have gone down the rabbit hole and seen a lot of those influencer videos. And as much as I think as a culture conversations around body positivity, I mean, I grew up in the 90s. So diet culture was shoved down your throat excessively. And unfortunately, we've come so far, but not come so far because I do see in a lot of those avenues exactly what you're saying. It's not necessarily being used or promoted in the right way. And unfortunately, we're in a situation where pharmaceutical companies do have, quote unquote, the magic pill they've been looking for. And 
I want to make it very clear as well, one that's not something anyone should enter into without consulting with a healthcare team, with a physician, because I know there there's a whole other rabbit hole of black market and so on and so forth. I, I know it's terrifying, <laughs> especially when it's something, even if you're getting it through the right means, there can be some very real complications. Obviously, in a case-by-case situation with somebody with obesity, it's weighing out what those potential complications are versus the risk versus reward versus the health implications of continuing on that same path. But when you talk about some of the issues there, I know one of them has been shortages and access to medication and having it covered by insurance. I believe it was the province of Ontario recently at the beginning of this year that made the announcement that they no longer would be supporting it for obesity. It was type two only. So what are some of the issues that come up with these shortages and these types of policies that are coming out, especially for what you're advocating for? Yeah, it is a uh, it's a messy space right now. I, I have to say that. Um, so, I guess um, when it comes to the shortages, I guess we should say it out front. The shortages are mostly resolved right now. Um, so, you know, Health Canada, we've been working with uh, Health Canada and and the manufacturers and stuff like that. So, there's information that should be coming out shortly. The shortages that we've talked about for particularly Ozempic are mostly resolved and and should not be an issue going forward. Uh, And then to add to that, um, you know, Wegovi, which has been approved in Canada for obesity management uh, for more than two years now, but we haven't actually had any supply in Canada ever. Uh, It's never, it's all the shipments, I guess, went to the States or something like that. So we weren't getting any of it. That's why there were so many people using Ozempic. It is the same medication. It's the same active molecule semaglutide in both those medications from the same manufacturer. But we didn't have access to Wegovi, even though it was approved for quite a a long time now. Um, Wegovi will be in Canada probably a little bit later this spring. So we will have supply of Wegovi. The shortages of Ozempic should be mostly resolved. Um, So this shouldn't be too much of an issue going forward now. I think We're, we're kind of in a space now where that's hopefully better. But for a lot of these policies that you've been hearing that question about like Ontario removing coverage for people taking Ozempic for uh, weight management or obesity management, you know, that that's hard. I get a lot of people reaching out to me from our community that have been on the medication for quite some time. They've been very successful on it. And now they're stranded. They have no idea what they're going to do. And there's no clear indication right now whether Wegovi, the obesity version of semaglutide, will be covered uh, the same way that they had the Ozempic covered. But I guess, you know, the, the government was essentially making the statement that during these shortages, medication should be used for the, what's on the label. So, you know, technically speaking, Ozempic is a diabetes medication, even though it's the same medication, it's the same active molecule. Um, that's kind of what they were cutting down to. So it it makes it a bit challenging. There's a lot of people that are struggling right now without the treatment that's been very, very effective for them for a long time. When it comes to advocacy work, how is Obesity Canada then involved to help ensure that it's access for all that need it? (sighs) 
it's um, it's not an easy uh, it's not an easy uh, a question to answer. There, I think um, you know we we do a lot of work. Sometimes that work is uh, like on an individual basis. So I'll help people that have uh, you know they're they're going to their private insurer and they're trying to do you know their private insurer doesn't cover uh, obesity treatments. And so they're doing an appeal or whatever to try and get an exception made. And so sometimes I support people, you know, providing evidence and, and those sorts of things with that. Sometimes it's a larger thing where we're talking with, you know, policymakers about how they can change that. Sometimes we're talking and working with the insurers themselves um, and, and trying to get them to change their policies. So right now, a lot of the private insurers, for example, would have obesity medications classified under a lifestyle box. So it's it's if you're an employer and you're buying insurance for your employees, um, that is generally not going to be something that's included in the standardized formulary. It's something that would have to be added on. So the employer would have to add that into their insurance policy. And so, you know, trying to get those insurance companies to recognize that obesity management isn't the same as, you know, those other things that fall into that lifestyle category. Um, and it should be considered a chronic disease medication, just like diabetes medication. So there's lots of people who have, you know, Ozempic covered under their plan for diabetes, but don't have Wigovi covered or any obesity management treatment. So it's, there's a bit of bias there, uh, a weight bias and stigma about uh, whether we should be treating it as a chronic disease or whether it is a chronic disease. And well, so, and I'm sure when we talk about the chronic diseases that it can cause, like type 2 diabetes, certain cancers, heart disease, the cost of those, I mean, I just know from the fitness industry side in regards to our inactivity crisis, what those cost in healthcare. I mean, I, I feel like the obvious answer, and sure, this would most likely save if they actually put this under the umbrella and then we're treating it as a chronic disease because it's subsequently going to cause less chronic disease and illness. But that's probably the obvious answer between you and I. And for some reason, when it goes up the chain into creating these policies and these rules, it's never that black and white. And I can see some of the insurers hesitations when we speak to what we discussed earlier, that there are many people that are using these medications for, I mean, I'll flat out say it because I've seen it, you know, people that are like, I want to lose the 15 pounds for the wedding and kind of just want to fast track because it is something that it's going to work. But the evaluation over this is where I get messed up over it because I'm like choosing to do that. I mean, you're using it as a resort because you need help if you're dealing with a chronic issue like obesity. But otherwise, I don't understand why you would subject your body to injecting yourself with a medication unnecessarily. But that's just my personal two cents that I do find quite frustrating. And on that notion, I know, well, a separate notion, you may have seen Equinox, uh, Lifetime Gyms in the States. We saw Noom and Weight Watchers being able to kind of subscribe through their platforms. Equinox and Lifetime Gyms, they are basically creating programs where it would be prescribed and helping people through that journey. And you kind of mentioned earlier that any of these interventions are happening in tandem to exercise and healthy eating. So talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on programs being built. I mean, for ourselves personally, I'm speaking from the fitness professional side and things that they may want to be aware of if they are entering that space. Oh, that's a good question. I think... 
I, I come at this from two kind of angles. So there, there's part of me that is recognizing that we are in a period of incredible evolution in the obesity space and our understanding of it and the way we can go about treating and managing it is quickly outpacing the ability to kind of fit that knowledge into the existing health system that we operate in, especially here in Canada. Things might be a bit different down in the States with how they do things. Um, but here in Canada, you know, change doesn't happen fast. And so it, it is a long, slow change uh, that's going on here. So having these spaces come out that, you know, could potentially, if done well, could increase access. You know, I mentioned earlier that there's lots of people, you know, who don't have access to treatment. They don't have access to a physician or a healthcare professional that has any sort of real training in obesity management or obesity at all. And so if we can, you know, through some of these programs or whether it's, you know, virtual care and those sorts of things, uh, increase access to evidence-based obesity management, that's fantastic. Uh, my hesitation with it would be um, in those situations where, you know, people are just getting prescribed something, they don't actually speak to a healthcare professional or a doctor, they fill out a questionnaire online uh, answer a couple questions. And then there's no follow up like this is a chronic disease. And we're talking about chronic disease management. So it should be treated just the same way as you have someone with diabetes, you should be following up with your doctor and, and they should be tracking you closely and making sure that everything's uh, working out well. And I don't know whether these programs that you mentioned, whether they're going to have that capacity or ability to closely monitor things. And I think that's going to be where there's going to be some issues. As somebody that's walked in these shoes and gone through a major life transition doing the bariatric surgery, what are some of the biggest misconceptions about obesity that irk you to this day, maybe rhetorics that continue to be said over and over again that you really hope people have their, their ears attuned and are able to absorb and perhaps change their lens or perception? So I, again, I come at this from a really, uh, from, from two kind of angles. Um, yes, I'm someone who I'm a patient advocate. I've had bariatric surgery. I've utilized all the pillars of obesity management that I talked about. Um, so I, I talk freely about my experience there and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm very proud of, of, uh, being able to have that, um, opportunity to change my life. So those things are all great. But I'm also a kinesiologist by training. I was an exercise physiologist uh, uh, and, and I have a PhD in kinesiology. I've taught nutrition at, you know, uh, post-secondary education in college and stuff like that. So, like, I have an in-depth knowledge of exercise activity and, and those sorts of things. So my biggest pet peeve, my biggest thing that I want people to understand is that it's not just about eat less, move more. That's not going to solve this problem. We can have, you know, we can tell people to be active and, and exercise and eat healthy. And, and I preach all those things myself, but there is a lot more going on. People believe that it's, oh, it's so simple. You know, I did this. I lost, you know, X number of pounds, you know, doing certain diet. There's no one diet that's going to be right for everyone. And there's, like I said, there's just lots that go on. Obesity is a uh, chronic disease that is largely controlled by the brain and, and largely controlled by things that are not necessarily uh, in an individual's kind of conscious control. It's not something that we have 
a great deal of control over. There are certain aspects of it that we have control over and we can work on those things and those are fantastic, but there's pieces to it that are very, very complicated. No, fair enough. And I think that I almost want to peel that back just a little hair further because I do think that is where the disconnect and misunderstanding is for a lot of people. So what are some of more of those complexities as you start to unfold? I guess uh, a way I can try and explain it is uh, for me personally, like I said, I've got a very in-depth background. I know more than most of the population about these sorts of things. And I know what I should be doing to live a healthy life. And I know all that stuff. Um, so, you know, and I, I wouldn't even say it was an issue that I had a lack of willpower or anything like that. But um, for me, um, prior to treatment, food, my relationship was fo with food was really different than what it was with any of my peers. So um, I had almost this uh, ravenous kind of drive for food. It was, it was something that was uncontrollable. I could, it was exhausting. It was, I'd wake up in the morning and it was the first thing on my mind, food, 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 what I was going to eat. And that drive to eat food was always there and it was distracting and it consumed my life. It was very, very difficult to do anything. Once I received my treatment, that food brain that I call it, um, was silenced and I had, it gave me control. So now I feel under treatment that I have control over food the way that my peers did that weren't dealing with this issue. So it's given me a sense of normalcy, which I've never had, which is, an, you know, it's unreal, unbelievable and, and life altering. So I think. Well, the empowerment that would give you, especially because really, I mean, it, it's I have um, people in my life that I'm very close with ha that have suffered with addiction and it sounds so similar when you're saying that the minute that you get up and those cravings and it's just that never enough. And and I don't want to bridge the two, but I do say it's also something that has heavy stigma because people always say to them, well, why don't you just stop? And you're like, it's not that simple. And I think that's where curiosity and asking the questions and I appreciate you for coming on this platform and taking the time to answer them because that is how we have greater understanding. We are in a society where, you know, somebody posts one thing and everybody wants to have their two cents in a comments thread, but what's resulting there is quite damaging. Whereas if we had a better understanding of our fellow humans that we're sharing the world with, and now we have these solutions that are quite, I don't want to say exciting when I'm talking about a medication, but I know they can be quite life-changing for a lot of individuals, but there are strides to make in regards to accessibility. And again, reducing that stigma, because I think there has definitely been a lot of strides taken, but there's still a lot of work to do. So on this World Obesity Day, what's a final message that you'd like to leave us with here? I, I think you've said it earlier, you know, we got to be a little bit better to each other as humans. So the the, the stigma piece is, is really important. Try and understand people, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, if you see someone, you can't make a judgment of whether they're healthy or whether they're good people or, you know, those sorts of things. You don't know the, the path that they've gone down. So have a little, uh, a little bit of uh, grace and sympathy for people or, or understanding, empathy, and uh, yeah, ask questions, talk about it openly and, and be kind. Yeah, be kind. That's a big one. Well, Ian, I thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you sharing with me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
You've just listened to the All Things Fitness and Wellness podcast, hosted by Chrissy Van. This episode was brought to you by Fitness World, your fitness, your way. Be sure to hit like and subscribe. We have new podcast episodes weekly featuring industry insiders and influencers. Together, we're on a mission for everyone to live a life fit and well.